This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. This, uh, this morning, if you would, uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew. Uh, first chapter of Matthew, that's where we'll be reading this morning. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, we'll read the first uh, 17 verses. Uh, and this is a genealogy too, so bear with me because it's a, <laughs> a lot of rough names. So I'm going I'm to do my best, but we'll see if we can make it through it. Uh, Matthew 1 through 17. Uh, when you find it, would you stand? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Amminadab, Amminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, and Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David the king, and David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam, Rehoboam begot Abijah, and Abijah begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat begot Joram, and Joram begot Uzziah. Uzziah begot Jotham, and Jotham begot Ahaz, and Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh, Manasseh begot Amon, and Amon begot Josiah. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shiltael, and Shiltael begot Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel begot Abiud. And Abiad begot Eliakim, and Eliakim begot Azor, Azor begot Zadok, and Zadok begot Akim, and Akim begot Iliad, Iliad begot Eleazar, Eleazar begot Mothan, and Mothan begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are fourteen generations. And from David until the captivity in Babylon are fourteen generations, and from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are fourteen generations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again we come before you in the name of Jesus, and again, Lord, we are thankful for your word, Thank, thankful for revealed truth. Lord, thankful for salvation that You've provided. You created us. Lord, we sinned, and yet You have provided redemption. Lord, we again just thank You. Pray, Lord, that this 
thanksgiving be expressed today in adoration for You, for all the blessings that You've poured out upon us. And Lord, may our understanding and may our gratitude be increased as we consider this passage before us today. We ask that You grant understanding. I ask that You enable me to speak, deliver uh, the very message You would have delivered here today. And again, Lord, may, may our view of You be increased and our thankfulness toward You be increased as the result. We ask all of these things, Father, for our edification and for Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Be seated. Amen. Well, I thought you did an excellent job, Zach. There was a ram. For example, you look at verse 4, there was ram long before there was Bill Gates. Did you know that? This is in the Bible. <laughs> That's a, that, there's a term familiar to us. <clears throat> We're going to be uh, beginning today studying the book of Matthew. So this is going to be somewhat introductory. Um, and Lord, Lord willing, this is going to be the, the, uh, the goal here is to move through uh, the whole book. Um, all of the Bible... It's God's Word, and uh, if, if you have a translation like mine or, or a, uh, a one that's published like uh, similar to mine, then some will be in some words in red, some words in black. But you know what? Regardless of whether they're red or black, it's all the Word of God. Regardless of whether it's Old Testament, New Testament, it's all the Word of God. It's all rich, and we, we just came through uh, the study of Haggai and the study of Habakkuk. And uh, uh, which I, which I enjoyed, and uh, hope you benefited from benefited from as well. But I tell you the truth, uh, and, and I did enjoy those greatly. But but I, I love to be in one of the gospels. It's just uh, always thrilling to be looking at the very life of Christ and the words of Christ, and seeing how Christ uh, fulfilled. Uh, all of those things that pointed toward Him and to Him and, and uh, learning those things and learning how they apply to us and, and acknowledging as we do that uh, that He's alive. He's alive. We're not just looking back through history on some great man and saying and, and you know, being left uh, with, with, with only being able to say to ourselves, I wish I had known Him. It would have been interesting, wouldn't it, to know Abraham Lincoln or somebody like that. But we're not, we're not left with that in the study of Scripture. We, what we see, what we read about, what we learn about is our living Lord. He's alive. And we don't have to say, oh, I wish I'd known Him. We can say, I do know Him by God's grace. And uh, if you do not know Him, just encouragement, He can be known. He has made a way. And this is, this, this is what we're going to be talking about as, uh, uh, primarily as we go through the book. He has made a way of reconciliation. Um, just a quick word on that that I, I hope we'll keep in mind before I get into some of the introductory things here. Um, I'm 
it seems constantly reminded of this as I read things and as I read the Scripture and, and uh, meditate uh, on what God is doing and what God has done. Salvation is reconciliation to God. In a, in a, in a nutshell, uh, that's what it is. The essence of it is reconciliation to God. It's, it's, it's not an escape hatch. It's not a ticket to a better place, so to speak. Salvation is reconciliation to God. So, for the sinner who is aware of their sinfulness and cries out for relationship with God, for that person who understands that they are alienated from God and in need of reconciliation, there is great hope. And there is a powerful message from the words of Scripture. There is reconciliation. God has made a way for what would otherwise be impossible. If God had not done something about our situation, the fact that we were alienated from Him, we, we would remain in that state forever. But God, through uh, the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection of His own Son, has provided reconciliation for all of those who come to Him through faith in Jesus Christ. The author of uh, this gospel, called the Gospel According to Matthew, um, is uh, this is practically uh, not disputed. Uh, is the tax collector Matthew, one of the twelve, also known as Levi, uh, in uh, Mark and Luke. But uh, the uh, the testimonies that we have in church history. Um, Confirming his authorship are, are just, I mean, there's just wide agreement there. They're very early on. So there's little dispute about that. Matthew is the author, and that's why it's named after him. And I just say that because I want you to understand that he didn't, uh, he didn't sign it. This, this was not done in the form of a letter like the epistles. So, for example, if you, if you read Paul's epistles, and he will say, you know, this is written by my own hand, uh, I, Paul, or something to that effect. Uh, sometimes in the greeting and, and or in the uh, in the close, but we don't have that in the gospel. In fact, none of the gospel writers uh, signed, as it were, their name to their work. We know who they were uh, through ch- church tradition, and I think uh, uh, you know rightfully so. They've been assigned correctly. So this one, written by one of the twelve, Matthew, the tax collector, and. Uh, Boy, he could tell a story of redemption, couldn't he? I mean, he he was one who was alienated from God and realized it, and uh, by God's grace realized it, and by God's grace came to follow Christ. The date of uh, of the writing of this gospel probably in the 50s or 60s. That's not the 1950s or 60s. It's the O 50s, the 60s. All right. Um, before the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of Jerusalem was in 70 A.D. We're, we're going to see, Lord willing, uh, when we get there, and it's going to take some time, but uh, we get over to Matthew 24, for example. Um, Jesus prophesies about the destruction of Jerusalem. So uh, the book of Matthew was penned prior to, uh, prior to that event. And uh, again, it's 
probably uh, during the 50s and 60s. One, one of the reasons that is said is because, again, we have testimony uh, historically that this book was written, penned while Peter and Paul were ministering in Rome. Um, that's according to uh, Irenaeus, one of the early church fathers, church theologians. A um, couple of just things to mention, literary notes that, that I think are interesting. For example, uh, the very first verse, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Well, that's very similar language to what Moses uses in Genesis chapter 5 concerning man. This is the book, Genesis 5.1. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. Adam, remember, is, a Hebrew, is a, a Hebrew word for man. So Moses says, this is the book of the genealogy of Adam in the day that God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day that they were created. So here's a record, Moses is saying, uh, a genealogy, book of genealogy of Adam. And now the author of, of uh, this gospel is saying, here's, here's a record or genealogy, book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, why would he give us a genealogy on Christ? Um, just, to, just to see if we're good at pronunciation? <laughs> no, because it, it, it matters as far as who, who fulfills this office of Messiah. The word Christ, our, our word Christ, comes from the Greek word Christos. Uh, the equivalent of that in Hebrew is the word Messiah. Literally, it, it just means anointed, the anointed one. But they looked for one who would come, a savior, a prince, uh, a greater king than, say, David, Solomon. The Jews looked for this great prince, king, deliverer to come. This was their hope. God had promised to send, and, and they, uh, they anticipated His coming. Uh, and Matthew's objective here, and this is going to be real important as we go through the book, Ma- Matthew's objective here is to show that Jesus fulfills all the criteria. In other words, He is the Messiah. The Messiah. And that uh, is actually the main theme of the book, you could say, is, is uh, Jesus' identity. One, one more thing concerning literary notes that I, I find interesting is just that uh, it's, it's often been said that Matthew is the most Jewish of the Gospels. In other words, it's clear that he's writing to a Jewish audience. A Jew himself, um, knowledgeable about Judaism because he lived it, because he was taught it. And uh, until the day that, that uh, he began to follow Christ, that was all he knew as far as uh, worship and doing God's will. Um, and so he's writing from that perspective, from a Jewish perspective, primarily to Jews, although we'll see as we go through. He's not excluding Gentiles, but primarily he's writing to Jews to make the case, to make the argument that this is the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus is the Anointed One, capital A. The word, the word Messiah is a real common word in the Old Testament. And it's, it's used of, 
again, it just means anointed, and it's used of prophets, priests, kings. Um, but here it's used in a special sense. Uh, and I'll give you a couple of references in a moment. But here it's used in a special sense referring to the, capital A, anointed one, capital O, or the Messiah, capital M. Again, that, that promised deliverer, prince, who would come to deliver the nation of Israel from their enemies and reestablish uh, their kingdom, reestablish the Davidic kingdom. So, again, the main thing is Jesus' identity. Matthew is, is making the case that Jesus is this Messiah. He presents Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah, son of Abraham, son of David, Son of God. King of Israel and Lord of the church. In fact, King of kings and Lord of lords. The identity of Jesus Christ um, is just of the utmost Importance. I mean, there's there's no way I can overstate that. Uh, Lord willing, we'll come back to that uh, before we close. But it, it is just of the utmost importance that we under importance that we understand who he is, who he claimed to be, why he came, um, was he who he said he was. And I, again, I say who He is, but not who He was, but who He is, because He still is. <laughs> He's alive. So the main theme is Jesus' identity. Again, He is the Christ, the Anointed One, Hebrew, Messiah, Greek, Christos. Um, come to be referred to as, as He is here in the very text, Jesus Christ. That's why a lot, a lot of people think that was His last name or something, you know. What's your name? You know, Bill Smith. What was his name? Jesus Christ. It's not his, not his last name. It's a title. Anointed one. But they did, they did uh, even then articulate it in that way at times. But it's, it's a title. Jesus the Anointed One. Again, capital A. Because he's not just, he's not just a king. He's not just a priest or a prophet. He's the ultimate. The ultimate king, the ultimate priest, the ultimate prophet, the ultimate teacher, the ultimate master, the ultimate shepherd, the ultimate Lord. Jesus is the Messiah, the Christos, the Christ. Let me give you a couple of Old Testament um, usages of this word Messiah uh, in regard to uh, again, in regard to Jesus, you know, the, the capital A anointed or the capital M Messiah. Uh, one Psalm is uh, Psalm 2, verse 2. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. Now, that word Lord, we, uh, we talked about quite a bit as we were going through Haggai and Habakkuk. It's, it's the word Yahweh. Yahweh, that's, that's the proper name of the God of the Old Testament. 
Lord. And usually, when, uh, when in, in most of our translations, when that word Yahweh is used in the Old Testament, because it's talking specifically about the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God who delivered them out of the land of Egypt, because it's talking specifically about Him, it's translated with all capitals. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Lord, when you see that in your translation in the Old Testament, it's the name Yahweh, which is really a derivative from, of, a, of a Hebrew to be verb. I am. When, when uh, Moses asked the Lord, show me your glory, uh, and, and he asked the Lord, who do I tell them sent me? He said, tell them I am sent you. So in Psalm 2.2, two, it's interesting, isn't it? It says, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against Yahweh and against His Messiah. Against his anointed. Now, there's a specific reference, not to not to any king, not to anybody who's anointed, such as a prophet like Samuel or Jeremiah, not to any priest like Aaron, Eleazar, or somebody like that. It's it's a specific reference to this Messiah to come, this great anointed one, ultimate one. Again, in Daniel 9.25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, everybody remember that? We were going through uh, Haggai and uh, Cyrus, who, who, by the way, was, was a, a pagan king that was also referred to as the Lord's anointed. That word Messiah was used. That's how commonly it was used. But, but of course, he was not the Messiah. Uh, he was a Messiah, one that God chose to use for a specific purpose. Um, But you remember that? Cyrus, the king of Persia, uh, commissioned the children of Israel who were in captivity to go back to the land and and rebuild the temple. This is what Daniel's referring to. So he says that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince. Again, another reference to... to the Messiah, capital M. Until Messiah, the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. Again in Matthew, uh, I'm sorry, Daniel 9.26. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah, capital M, shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the Prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, the end of it shall be with a flood till the end of the war. Desolations are determined. So there are just a few references to the Messiah, the, the great Deliverer to come, the ultimate Deliverer, the one who once and for all would deliver the Jews from their enemies and reestablish the kingdom. They had enjoyed... Specifically, when, when David and Solomon uh, reigned over Israel, they had enjoyed great periods of prosperity. Sovereignty, we would, we would say, right? They were, they were a sovereign nation. In fact, they had other nations bringing tribute to them because they were so powerful. 
And David reigned as, as a great king, and Solomon reigned as a great king, and the Lord just poured out prosperity upon them. Not that it was all without trouble. They had plenty of wars, plenty of bloodshed. But they existed as a sovereign nation. And they longed for that again. And God promised a Messiah, an anointed one, that would bring about deliverance once and for all. That would establish, again, the kingdom once and for all. The kingdom of God. Well, Matthew, again, is making the case that Messiah has come. Messiah, capital M. (laughs) The Anointed One, capital A, has come. And it's Jesus of Nazareth. A few other, uh, <clears throat> a couple other references here that, that don't use the, the term Messiah, but they are talking about the Messiah, this promised uh, deliverer. Psalm 2.7, I will declare the decree, the Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Now that's, that's Psalm 2.7 and it's quoted uh, in reference to Christ, that is, that, meaning that Christ fulfilled that. Uh, and it's quoted in Acts 13.33, sermon by the Apostle Paul. In Hebrews 1.5, Hebrews 5.5, 5, everybody should remember that, right? <laughs> when we went through Hebrews. Hebrews 1.5 and Hebrews 5.5, 5, there the, the writer of Hebrews is making, making the case of the supremacy of Christ over uh, supremacy of the New Testament, over the Old Testament, the supremacy of Christ over, over Moses, over the angels, and so forth. And, and he brings out these Old Testament quotes, uh, passages that refer to Christ. And, and he also makes the case, shows that they are fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Here's another one, Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Powerful. That one also is quoted in Hebrews uh, to show that Christ has fulfilled it. In Hebrews 1.8. Interesting, and it's like, like the one we, we saw earlier in Psalm 2. The Lord Yahweh said unto my Lord, Adonai, The Lord Yahweh said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Well, here again you have the two persons, right? Your throne, and remember this is God speaking, Psalm 45, verse 6. God speaking, Yahweh speaking, says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Who's He talking to? God is calling someone God. It's interesting, isn't it? And Hebrews 1.8 shows that that is, again, a reference to the Messiah, Jesus, 
Isaiah 61, verse 1. Boy, this, this, uh, well, this is, this is so powerful here. Isaiah 61, again, another, uh, passage concerning the Messiah that they longed for and looked for. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. That's awesome, isn't it? Well, it, it is for anybody in need of help. If, if you realize your diseased state, your sinful state, if, if you realize the bondage, if you realize the blindness, if you exist in a state of mourning over your sin, so that it is, is as, as it were, you, you were in the ash heap, then this indeed is good news. There's an anointed one coming. To heal the brokenhearted. To set the captives free from bondage. To raise those that are in ashes out of the ashes. And to give them joy in exchange for their mourning. And it's the anointed ones. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord, Yahweh, there's that term again, the Lord, Yahweh, has anointed me to preach good tidings. Good news. It's the gospel message. What the word gospel means. Good news. In the New Testament, in John 1, Andrew finds his brother after, after his encounter with, uh, with Jesus. Andrew finds his brother Simon, verse 1, uh, Chapter 1, verse 41 of John. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. The Christ. Now, they, they have been for centuries now hearing these prophecies like the one we just read from Isaiah or like the ones from Psalms. Psalms or Daniel. They have for centuries now been hearing these prophecies of this coming Deliverer who will deliver from the enemy, who will establish the kingdom, who will set all things right. And they've been hearing this. Hearing this from their parents, from their grandparents. And their parents heard it from their parents and grandparents and so on. For centuries, He's coming. 
He's coming. Endure, because there's a day coming when all things are going to be made right. Oh yes, Isaiah told us the brokenhearted are going to be healed. Those that live in bondage are going to be set free. The psalmist told us that all, all enemies are going to be put under His feet. The day's coming. Messiah's coming. He's coming. So imagine, imagine the excitement in Andrew's voice in his whole being when he realizes who Jesus is and he runs to his brother, Simon, we found the Messiah. The one our ancestors longed for is now in our day here. John 4.25 Jesus encounters a woman at Jacob's well and begins a dialogue with her. The song I was singing, that's where that came from, from this passage. Jesus begins a dialogue with her. She says to Him in verse 25, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Now, she's a Samaritan woman, but you see, again, the evidence here that they are desirous of His coming. They are looking for His coming. They long for His coming. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 4, Herod... actually wanting to kill Jesus as a child, asked this question in Matthew 2.4, When he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ, Christos, the Christ, was to be born. He believed, um, by the evidence he had from the... uh, the traveling wise men and so forth, that there was good possibility the Messiah was here. But what he wanted to do was stop him. wanted to make sure that he doesn't actually rise up and reign. He wanted to kill him. But again, it shows you that the mood was they were looking for the Messiah. And then Peter's confession, which is is really at the heart of Matthew's message and purpose in writing here in Matthew 16, 16. When when asked the question, Jesus asked, "Who, who do men say that I am? Well, they come back with various answers. Men men say all kinds of things about Jesus is still that way in our day. Some at least claim to love his morality. Oh, he had great sayings like, 
you, you do, you treat others like you want to be treated. The golden rule. And everybody loves Matthew 7, 1, right? Judge not, lest you be judged. <laughs> he had great teaching. He's a great teacher. And some said he's a, he's a prophet. Jesus asked the disciples, Who do you say? that I am. And Peter (laughs) never hesitates really to speak up, does he? For the most part, Peter answered, You are the Christ. Messiah, capital M. Christ, capital C. The Anointed One, capital A. The One we've longed for, looked for, waited for. Peter says, and rightly so, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You see what Matthew's communicating? You see what the Holy Spirit is communicating through the pen of Matthew? The main thing, the identity of Jesus Christ. And what about Jesus' own claim? Let me give you just one verse. Matthew 16, verse 20. Then He commanded His disciples that they should tell no one that He was Jesus the Christ. The Christ. And by the way, uh, Jesus seldom did that. He seldom came right out and said, "I'm, I'm Him. I'm the Christ. I can only think of Three other examples. One was the woman at the well. I that speak to you am He. Well, that must have blown her mind. She says, oh, we we know that Christ is coming and when He gets here, He'll tell us all things. Jesus said, I that speak to you am He. And He was reading her mail. He rarely did that. It's interesting, isn't it? Why? Why didn't he stand up in front of all the Pharisees and Sadducees and say, Look, look, you, I'm, I'm the Messiah. He did that with one of the blind men that he healed. Oh, they gave that man a fit. Because he'd been blind. Everybody knew he was blind. He'd been blind all his life. And, and now he could see. And they, and they interrogated him. Who, who, who opens your eyes? Well, he tried to explain to them. He didn't really know Jesus. And they said, look, he's a sinner. He said, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. I know one thing. I was blind, now I can see. (laughs) And then Jesus came to him later in the multitude. He found him in the crowd. He said, do you believe in the Christ? He said, "Tell tell me who He is, Lord. And again, Jesus said, I that speak to you am He. 
the Messiah. The Messiah. And when he was being interrogated just prior to his death, and this has fascinated me for years, the, uh, the, the actual uh, act of putting someone under oath and, and the fact that Jesus respected it. But he was being interrogated just prior to his, his crucifixion, his murder, by the high priest. And he would not answer their questions. And finally, the high priest got enough of it and, and said, I adjure you by the name of the living God. That is, what he was saying is, I'm putting you, I'm placing you under oath. Are you the Christ? Jesus said, Yes. He's the Messiah, the Anointed One, Son of David, Son of Abraham, Matthew says. The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham. Well, he's saying the same thing there that we've been saying all along so far in this message. Because, for example, Son of David, that, that is a, another name for the Christ that everybody was familiar with. Sometimes they would cry out to Him, Son of David, have mercy on me. That, that's a profession. In, in reality, they're saying, I recognize that you're the Christ. And so when He passed blind Bartimaeus, for example... He's crying out to him, Son of David, Son of David, have mercy on me. And he's the son of Abraham. This is why Matthew gives us the genealogy to show that he did indeed descend from Abraham and then from the house of David. Because this is part of the criteria. The Christ must come from that line. So, right up front, Matthew states it. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He's legitimate, Matthew is saying. He fulfills the criteria. And there's another implication that this term Messiah carries with it, that they did not all understand. They understood that he had to come, that he had to descend from Abraham. They understood that he had to descend from the house of David. In large part, they did not understand that he had to be the Son of God. Son of Abraham, Son of David, Son of God. It it seems that, well, not the first, but one of the first to recognize that was Satan. It's amazing, isn't it? Matthew 4, when the tempter came to him, that's Satan, he said, if you are the Son of God, He assumed it. And he's trying to put him to the test. 
are you, are you really the Son of God? Or, since you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. He knew Jesus was hungry. Since you're the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And again, in verse 6, Matthew 4, 6, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Demons as well. For example, the two demoniacs in Matthew 8 cried out when they saw Him coming, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now, Jesus wasn't going around announcing this, and that's why He often commanded them to be silent. When He came to the disciples on the sea in Matthew 14, Peter said, Lord, if it's You, command me to come. In other words, he's saying, let, let me walk on the water. If it's really you, Lord, and you're really there and you're really walking on the water, if it's not a spirit, then command me to come to you. Another fascinating passage. Because you might expect Jesus to say, look, that's not necessary. You know, just, I've told you who I am. Just believe it. Here I am. You, you see, fascinating thing is he says, come. Isn't that awesome? I think that's, that's always the case with any person desiring to know the truth about his identity. Lord, if it's really you, bid me come. Command me to come. And the response is, come. Some of the disciples of John followed him at one point when he was, first, when he was baptized by John. And he went on his way and some of the disciples left John and followed him and he turned and said, what do you seek? What are you seeking? And they said, where do you live? <laughs> Probably implying, you know, we, we, we want to get to know you. We want to go, we want to go where, wherever you're staying at. We want to go and get to know you. Jesus said, come and see. For the searcher, for the seeker, for the one who really wants to know the truth about who He is, He says, come. And so He told Peter, come. Come on out in the water. Come on. Well, you know the story. Peter got out there and he wound up sinking. Got his eyes off Christ on the storm. He started to sink. Jesus (laughs) saved him following His eloquent prayer. Lord, save me! And Jesus saved him. Then they got in the boat and the storm ceased immediately. And they said, Truly, you are the Son of God. And again, I, I mentioned it earlier, but when he was interrogated by the priest in Matthew 26, they asked him, I, pu- I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. 
And he answered in the affirmative. So we have also his own testimony. He's the Christ, the Son of God. Notice the beginning of the genealogy. It's the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, anointed. And then you get down to verse 15 where we finally get to Joseph, the husband of Mary, who was supposed to be the father of Jesus. Nathan begot Jacob. Verse 16, Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom, that is, of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. And then again in verse 17, all generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ. He's talking about the birth of Jesus. Until the Christ are 14 generations. This is what Matthew's concerned with, that we know who Jesus is. Let me say it this way. Because we're, we're used to hard decisions. We have decisions to make about careers. We have decisions to make about family. We have decisions to make about how we're going to handle our finances and so forth. Those things are important. Relative, of course, you know, to our daily living. Uh, but, I can assure you, the most important question you will ever face, that is, the most important question you will ever have to make a decision on and come, come down on one side or the other on, is this question concerning the identity of Christ. Who do you say Jesus is? Now, let me say real quickly, and we're about, about done here. Let me say real quickly. There is one sense in which it doesn't matter. And what I mean by that is this. What you say about Him doesn't change one thing about who He is. Who He is is reality. And, it, and it, it's not relevant to what we do relative to what we do. Who, who He is is who He is. And that won't change. I mean, I say that because sometimes we talk about making Jesus Lord. Have you made Him Lord in your life? Listen, He is Lord. And you can deny Him from now through eternity. He's still Lord. But it matters a great deal... <clears throat> concerning your own life, your own destiny. Who do you say that Jesus is? A myth? There are many out there today saying that. This whole story was conjured up by a group of people wanting to form a religion. Or it's the exaggerated form of what really took place, overzealous disciples attributing too much power to a man who was a good teacher. 
So he was just a good man. He was just a great teacher. One of those among many. The Buddhas, the Gandhis, the you name it, of the world. Or, He's King of kings, Lord of lords. He's the Messiah. your Lord and Savior. Who do you say that Jesus is? Well, let me just say this. Matthew leaves no doubt. Already, in these first 17 verses, three times he's called Him the Christ. The Christ. The Christ, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham. He leaves no doubt. Jesus is indeed Lord and King the long-awaited Messiah, King, not only of the Jews, but of the nations. When we get to the last chapter, uh, if it's not evident before then, that will be evident at that point. When they are commanded by Jesus to carry this message to the nations. We've got to do like the brother of Simon. First acknowledge who He is and then get the message out. We have found the Messiah, the Deliverer, the Prince, the King. He's come. He's come. He's here. He's here. He's here to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to give the blind their sight, to preach good news that the acceptable day of the Lord is here. Who do you say that Jesus is? Would you stand? Father, we acknowledge this morning that the only real way to know you. It's through Jesus Christ. Through the testimony that we have in Your Word. And the only true way to know that any of these things are, are true, the only way to recognize Jesus as the Christ is that You would open our eyes, open our hearts, Lord, if there are any in this room this morning who do not know You in truth, we ask for exactly that, that this would be the day that You would pierce their soul with the truth. The truth about who they are, the truth about who Jesus is. And Lord, use these truths uh, for all of us who do know You, for, for further edification, that we may grow spiritually, that we may love You more, that we may love one another more, that we may be zealous to do Your will. 
in proclaiming the coming of the Messiah. And we thank you, Father. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. We're dismissed. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.